Well, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, verses uh, 7 to 9 this morning. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, we do just thank you not only for who you are and what you've accomplished for us, but, but part of that being just that we get to be here in this moment. We know that we're doing what Christians have always done and what Christians all over the world right now are, are doing as well. Coming together, reminding ourselves of the glory of who you are, the blessings of the good news of the gospel, and we're here to hear from you through your word. We, we know that the primary way you communicate to us is through your word. So Father God, we're here to hear from you. Speak to us through your word this morning. To that end, Father, we ask that you would send your spirit and that he would just be in this room doing the work that only he can do, which is giving us eyes to see the truth and the really blessedness of your good news, of convicting us of sin where we need conviction, of encouraging us where we need encouraging, giving us faith where we lack. We just pray, Spirit, that you would come and do a good work in these next moments, especially as we step into, frankly, what is a hard topic for many of us. So, Lord, I pray to that end that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, if anyone ever had a reason to be bitter, it was Solomon Northup. Solomon was born a free African-American in upstate New York in 1807. His father had been a slave. His name was Mentis. Mentis was owned by a man in the, the state of Rhode Island. And when that man moved to New York, he rewrote his will. And he wrote his will to where when he died, Mentis would be freed. And that's what happened. Mentis then had a number of children, including Solomon, and they were all born free in the state of New York. Solomon eventually married a lady named Anne Hampton in 1829. And together they had three children together, Margaret, Elizabeth, and Alonzo. Um, Solomon was a, a successful farmer, he was a great violin player, and he was a canal worker. In fact, at one point he owned a canal business where he employed 20 people. But in 1841, a couple of men came into town and they were looking for musicians. They were leading a circus and they were looking for musicians to come and travel with them in their circus. And so uh, they were introduced to Solomon, he was a violin player. And they invited him to join them on the circus. It was going to go to New York City and then eventually to Washington, D.C. When they got to Washington, D.C., uh, they drugged Solomon and then sold him into slavery. He didn't have his papers with him. And even though he pleaded, made the case, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm free. I, I'm not a slave. Uh, they lied and said, no, he's a, he's a man named Platt who's a runaway slave from Georgia. Long story short, he spent the next 12 years as a slave in Louisiana. Now, there's layers to the wickedness of, of slavery, and, and there were layers to the embittering experience that Solomon faced, beginning with the first man who, who bought Solomon, and he was sold to, to three different people, and it kind of progressively got worse for him. But the first man who bought Solomon was a Baptist preacher named William Ford. Let me just say that again. A Baptist preacher named William Ford 
bought Solomon Northup and had him working on his plantation. Now, granted, he would, you know, do a Sunday morning worship service for all his slaves, and, and granted, he was, uh, he was kinder to his slaves than, than the other uh, slave owners who owned him. But again, a Christian owned another Christian. Northup was sold a couple of times, and eventually he ended up um, on a plantation owned by a man named Edwin Epps. And, and Epps was the worst of all the men who had bought him. He was the most cruel. He raped his slaves. He indiscriminately tortured them. He would whip them if they didn't meet their daily cotton quotas. And on this plantation, there was a beautiful slave named Patsy, and she had it the hardest. She was the best cotton picker of, of the entire group. She would pick more cotton than everybody else, and so she avoided the, the punishment there, but, but she caught Epps's eye, and so Epps would, would regularly rape her. And as a result, Epps' wife hated Patsy. And eventually, uh, the, the Epps' forced Solomon to whip Patsy within an inch of her life. Her soul was broken, and she begged Solomon to kill her. Solomon and Patsy endured horrific trials. How are Christians supposed to navigate the embittering experiences of this broken world? Now listen, bitterness is understandable. If you've struggled with bitterness, it's understandable. This world can be an embittering place. None of us have gone through what Solomon and Patsy went through. None of us have gone through the suffering that Christ went through. But everyone goes through embittering trials. This world is broken. This world has fallen. This world is not as it should be. And as a result, the Bible is very clear that we're going to face embittering experiences. Listen, if you're older than like three years old, you've already faced them, right? And listen, I promise you, as you move forward from here for the rest of your life, you're actually going to experience more embittering experiences. So it's understandable that someone would become bitter. However, embittering experiences, they make us angry, right? Like when you experience some sort of injustice, you're experiencing anger. And in that moment, you're at a crossroads. You're at a crossroads of what to do with that anger. Do you let it sit and settle, or do you move forward from that anger? That's what this series has been all about. When you're at that crossroads, when that anger is beginning to settle, what do you do with it? In, in the scriptures, we've seen that God gives us some tools to battle bitterness. And over the last three weeks, we've looked at lament, forgiveness, and putting away. However, in that moment, you can also struggle with fear and unbelief. And that fear and unbelief actually gets in the way of you battling bitterness. Therefore, we have one final tool that we want to look at today, and it's the tool of trust. Now, before we look at Joshua 1, I want to kind of go back and look at this charge to battle bitterness. I want to just unpack this and return to this charge. Again, over these past weeks, we've given kind of a working definition of bitterness, and we've said that it's settled anger. It's anger that just sits there. And we've acknowledged, listen, the way you get there is these embittering experiences. Some sort of embittering thing happens to you, it makes you angry, and then the anger just sits there. Now, anger is not necessarily wrong, right? Like, like think of Solomon and Patsy. They were very justified when they struggled with anger. In fact, if you hear their story and it doesn't make you angry, there's something darker going on in your heart, okay? So anger is not necessarily bad. But the issue is, is what do we do with it when it settles? When it just sits there, how do we move forward from it? 
Many have said that bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping it harms the one who hurts you. I think that's a great image and description of bitterness. It's like this thing that is just leaking poison into our souls. When anger just sits there, when we don't move forward from it in healthy ways, it poisons our souls. That's what bitterness is. Therefore, we need to move forward from it. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, and it gives us this clear command to put bitterness away, to put it away. Ephesians 4 reads, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So we're to put away this thing that is poisoning our souls. Bitterness is the problem. The the solution is these these biblical commands to battle bitterness. And and, and so I want to just take one more second before we get into Joshua 1 and just unpack these three tools just by way of review. The first one is lament. Three weeks ago, we looked at the tool of lament. And we've said that lament is this biblical pattern that you see over and over in Scripture where someone uh, is experiencing an embittering experience and they come to the Lord in prayer and they just complain. They just lay it out there. They lay it on Him. They're honest about the anguish they're going through. We, we looked at Psalm 22.1, which opens with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now listen, God never forsake him, but he felt that way, right? We can feel that way, right? Psalm 22 and other lament psalms, they give us license to lay those burdens on the Lord in authentic ways. But before you hang up, there's always this yet God, but God turn that is made in the psalm. So it moves from complaining to singing at the end. That's the first tool, lament. The second tool is forgiveness. And we've said that, that listen, forgiveness is when this broken world harms you in some way, maybe it's a person, maybe it's something out there, but it's, it, they owe you a debt when someone sins against you. And so forgiveness is releasing that debt. When, when someone has sinned against you, they owe you something. And you're to forgive them by releasing that something. You're to forgive them by releasing the debt. And listen, the model of that is, is the way Christ relates to us. He unconditionally and eternally forgives you. And He does that so that you can then unconditionally and eternally, perpetually, if you will, continue to forgive other people. The third tool we looked at was from Ephesians 4, which is putting away. Now listen, we said that putting away begins in the heart. Bitterness is a, is a heart issue. So when you diagnose your heart and you see bitterness in there, you need to ask why. And then you need to, whatever that why is, you need to match it with these glorious gospel truths. These truths about God forgiving you. These truths about you know, God always being with you and for you. Whatever these gospel truths are that need to match whatever's going on in your heart, what ends up happening is, is those truths just kind of wash over you and they end up softening that hard heart. Listen, all that's done through prayer. And many times uh, putting away is simply just those prayers of, of asking God to help. We also saw from Ephesians 4 that you're to match that changed heart with with faithful speech. Like the things that come out of that heart ought to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving words. So we battle bitterness by putting it away. However, what I want us to see today is that battling bitterness is not a one-and-done scenario. Like maybe there's that moment where you have forgiven, you have put it away, you have lamented, 
But it's not a one-and-done scenario. We, we are to continue to battle bitterness. Now, in that moment, at, at, at that point of needing to continue to battle bitterness, th- there's a heart issue that's also going on there. Like when you've forgiven, but then you're bitter again, and this thing happens again. Many times what is going on there, and maybe that hesitation to forgive again, that thing that is getting in the way is either fear or unbelief. Fear and unbelief can get in the way of us continuing to battle. In other words, we struggle to continue to battle because we fear where it's going to lead, or we don't trust the Lord where it's going to, where it's going to lead. So we, we struggle uh, to continue in our fight against bitterness because of fear and because of unbelief. That's where we are in Joshua 1, verses 7 to, uh, 7 to 9, where he says, In order to battle bitterness, be strong and courageous. Look with me, Joshua 1, verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law, uh, all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The opening chapter here of Joshua is an amazing moment in the history of God's people. If, if you remember the story, they, they've been led out of slavery, out of Egypt. They've wandered through the wilderness, and this whole time there's been this promise of God promising them a promised land. I'm going to take you to a home. It's going to be a home all your own. I'm going to take you from slavery to prosperity. I'm going to take you from being enslaved to the Egyptians to, to this blessing of a homeland. So they get to the homeland. They get right to the Jordan River. They're about to cross in, and they send spies in to check it out. And do you remember what the spies came back reporting? They're really big in there. And those walls around those cities, they're really strong. And listen, when they, with what they could see with their eyes, when they reported that back to the people, it became this seed of unbelief. It became this seed of fear in their hearts. And so instead of trusting God, that God is even bigger than the giants, and God is even stronger than the strong walls, instead of trusting God, they became fearful, and that led to unbelief. Now, do you remember what happened? God then disciplined them by sending them back into the wilderness for 40 years. They were stuck in their fear. They were stuck in their unbelief. And as a result, God sent them back into the wilderness. They rejected God's word. They didn't trust God. But here they are, Joshua 1, back again. God has brought his people back again, right to the banks of the Jordan River. And God commands them to be strong and courageous. The reason why he commands them to be strong and courageous is because before they were not strong and courageous. They were full of fear. They were were lacking trust in God's word. So the command here is to remain steadfast to God's word and to really believe his ways are best. Now, let me stop here. There's a pattern to that reality, right? Like there's a pattern to that in the Bible that you see over and over again. And if you're anything like me, there's a pattern to your life where this is, you see this over and over again. We can be right at the point of entering blessing, entering into the promises of God, only to become fearful and only to become unbelieving. We can say, yes, yes, I believe in God's word and then refuse to forgive someone, even though God's word clearly teaches us to forgive him. Am I the only one on that? But like we can say, okay, Putting away anger, that will lead to life. It will lead to 
the empowerment of the Spirit. That's a good thing. We should put it away. But functionally, we believe that we're happy if we just hold on to the offense, right? You see, when you're tempted to give up your battle against bitterness, when you become fearful or you lack faith, be strong and courageous. But specifically, what are we to courageously trust in those moments? Your third little blanks there say, be strong and courageous by trusting the Word of God. Look at 7 again and then verse 8. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Friends, when, when anger settles, when you become bitter, you're, you're at a real crossroads. The crossroads is, okay, I'm either going to remain angry or I'm going to move forward from it. So that crossroads is a, it's a heart issue. It's a, it's a faith issue. Are you going to remain in your bitterness or are you going to move forward in, in healthy, faithful, hopeful ways? And notice I didn't say easy. I think that's hard. You don't know what the future, and, and listen, if it's a heart issue, which it certainly is, it can be a difficult heart issue. What, what are you really believing in that bitter moment? You see, when God's people were at the banks of the Jordan, their moment of truth, their crossroads, God commanded them to be strong and courageous. Stronger, steadfast to do what? Courageous to do what? Well, to trust God's word. That's what he was calling them to. Trust me. You see, when, when you're fearful to move forward from your bitterness or, or from lack of faith in God to move forward, you, you have a heart issue going on. It, it's an issue of not trusting God. The, the way you trust God is to trust his word. Let, let me give you a couple examples. If you've struggled with bitterness over the years, maybe it's for what your parents did to you. Maybe you have settled anger for what they've done to you. Listen, if, if you come talk to me about it, I'm going to agree with you. What, what they did to you was wrong. However, God, through his word, he's calling you to battle it. He, he's calling you to lament what happened, to trust him enough to forgive them for what they did, for, for you to trust him enough and his word to put away the bitterness. You see, in, in that moment in Joshua 1, he, he is calling you to be careful to do all that God's word has commanded you to do. Do you see that there? So in other words, you can't say, yeah, but, but I forgave her seven times. Like we know what Jesus responds to that with. He says, well, forgive her 70 times seven. Always forgive them, perpetually forgive them. Don't stop forgiving them. Therefore, if you refuse to forgive them, then you're not trusting God and not trusting his word. Therefore, be strong and courageous in trusting God's word. For example, you, you might have struggled with bitterness over what a business partner did to you and how maybe it then affected your family financially. Listen, I'm with you. It was wrong. However, God through his word is calling you to battle it. it to, to trust him means to lament over it. To trust him means, okay, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to release them from the debt. To trust him means that you put the bitterness away. You see, in that moment, Joshua 1 
7 to 9, it, it, it's explaining that you can't turn from the right or to the left. You can't pick or choose what you want to believe from Scripture. So you can't say, you know, you, you don't have the freedom to stew over it every morning in your devotional time or, or to vent about it every time you're on a date with your wife. God's Word tells you to put it away, replace it with kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. Be strong and courageous by trusting the Word of God. Bitterness is a crossroads. It's a, it's a moment of truth. Which way are you going to go? What, who are you going to trust in that moment? Are you going to trust the Lord in His ways, even when it's hard? Forgiveness is not easy. Even when it's hard, are you going to trust Him? Are you going to be strong and courageous when it's scary? When you don't know the future, when you don't know where it's going to lead, when you don't know what it's going to cost, when you're not 100% sure it's going to lead to something better, do you trust Him in those moments when you're tempted to give up your battleness against bitterness? When you become, become fearful or when you have lack of faith, he's calling you to be strong and courageous. But where does trust lead? What's on the other side of trusting him? Trust the word of God. Trusting the word of God uh, leads to prosperity. Look again at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then uh, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The principle that he's getting at here is that trusting God to the degree of faithfully obeying his word, that leads to prosperity and to good success. Now let me give a qualifier on that. This is not license to abuse a verse like this, like the health, wealth, prosperity TV preachers do, okay? You might say, well, I don't know. Why not? Well, Luke 18, 25 says, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus doesn't view like all the rich and successful people as faithful and, and all the poor people as unfaithful. So, so it certainly can't mean what the health, wealth, prosperity preachers say that it means. But what it means is actually something more profound, something more spiritual. You see, if, if God's people in that moment would trust God and believe his promises, even in the face of fears, even in the face of unbelief, they would experience the blessings of the promised land. They would experience those blessings. If they would trust God, then they would eventually experience peace in the land. If they would trust God, they would experience prosperity. Getting more specific, if they were to trust God there on the banks of the Jordan, then he would take them to a place where they had these established farms and businesses, where they would have peace and prosperity, where they would experience the, the blessings of having a real home and a real homeland, a place where they could, in peace, listen to their children giggle and where they could go up multiple times of the year to the temple. Trust leads to prosperity, and prosperity leads to something so much better than lots of money. Prosperity is more profound. It's more soul-filling. Friends, here's what I want you to hear today. If you trust God with your bitterness, He will lead you to the prosperity of the promised land. You see, you might not gain more money, but you'll gain something so much better. Hear me. They might not repent from what they did to you, but you'll gain closeness to God. The memories might periodically pop up again in your mind, but it's not going to wipe you out for days and weeks on end like it used to. You, you, you might not have the, that relationship perfectly restored, but, but you will learn how to be quick to forgive 
And when people wrong you in the future, you're going you're to be able to, to, to forgive them quicker. And it's not going to just wreck you every time somebody wrongs you. You're going to gain the prosperity of sanctification and spiritual maturity. You're, you're going to gain closeness to God. You're going to gain joy as a result of it. That's the promised land. That's the prosperity that we're talking about. If you'll be strong and courageous, trust Him, not knowing the future. What's on the other side of that? What's in the promised land is all these glorious things. When, when, you're, when you're tempted to give up your battle with bitterness, trust Him. Keep trusting Him. Be strong and courageous in that moment because it leads to these glorious blessings. Your fifth point on your outline is trust the Word of God when fearful. What, what gets in the way of trust? Well, fear does. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. On the banks of the Jordan River, he's, he's bolstering their faith. He's calling them to be strong, be courageous, because they're tempted out of their fear. They're tempted to back away, to run away because of their fear. Fear and anxiety, it's, it's just anxiety about the future. It, it, it's sitting on the banks of the Jordan and not knowing what's on the other side. Like, listen, maybe we cross over and we all die. Maybe my children die. Maybe those giants are too strong. Maybe those walls are, are too strong. Maybe it's, it's better out in the desert than the promise. Maybe God's not being truthful. See, all of those, all of those struggles with fear about the future, all of that can, can come up. We, we can do that with anger, right? Like we can feel safe knowing that if we stoke those fires of anger, maybe there's something comforting to it. This, I mean, I'm, I'm pushing into bitterness here, right? Like that anger that you hold on to. So, sometimes do you just, when you stoke those fires, don't you just feel better? Well, at least, at least I'm not like them. You hold on to it because maybe for some prideful reason of saying, well, at least I'm better than them. Listen, we can hold on to these things for all these corrupted and sinful reasons. Anxiety about the future keeps us from obeying God's word. Friends, in the face of fear, be strong and courageous. And hear me, I know that stepping into that pain hurts. But lament by laying it on the Lord. And battle to sing those yet God songs. I know that thinking about it again hurts. But forgive and battle. Release the debt. And hear me, I know it might be easier to just vent to your husband or vent to your wife. But put it away. Replacing it with words that are kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. Trust the Lord enough to do what he says and battle against bitterness. You don't know the future. The future can be scary. But, but the future with him is better than the future without him. Amen? Let me close with um, Steve Byers, a pastor in Indiana, says that when you battle bitterness, the, the, the fight is really in five areas. Let me give you these five areas that he says on how to battle bitterness. This is, this is where you need to fight. You, you need to fight beliefs, desires, thoughts, words, and behaviors. Beliefs, desires, thoughts, words, and behaviors. That, that, that's where you fight. So, so first he says that when we have settled anger, understand that it's a belief issue. So, so when you are struggling with bitterness, put, put off false beliefs and put on gospel beliefs. 
Listen, if you're anything like me, when I've struggled with bitterness, there, there's this root in, in my thoughts. There, there are these entitlement thoughts. I'm owed something. I've been wrong because I'm owed something. Well, listen, if I can, when I can put off those prideful entitlement thoughts, I, I can put on these, these uh, gracious thoughts. I, I can go back and remember that, listen, I'm just an object of God's grace. And, and the reason why he's extended me grace is so then I can extend it to other people. When I'm there, then that softens my heart. So as you reflect upon your bitterness, what false belief do you need to battle? N- number two, when you have bitterness in your heart, also understand that it's a desire issue. So when you're struggling with anger, put off the desire to get your pound of flesh and put on this new desire to trust God for justice. You see, much of our struggles with anger are desiring justice and desiring it right now. Like maybe there's a desire there that you need to check. Maybe there's a desire that says, listen, I need to, I need to trust the Lord with this situation. I need to trust His timing. We're to trust Him to make all things right in His timing. So as you reflect upon your bitterness, what desire do you need to battle? Number three, when you're struggling with bitterness, you have to think new thoughts. So when your thoughts are filled with anger over all that they've done to you, you're to take every thought captive. Now listen, we should transparently transparently lay all those thoughts, all those wrongs, all those hurts before the Lord. That's what lament is all about. And then we're to intentionally make that yet God turn. So when those memories come to mind again, remind yourself of who God is. Remind yourself of all of His promises. Friends, what is making you the most irritated these days? How do you need to battle your thoughts? Number four or five. When you feel hard feelings, be careful with your words. When you're insides are, are stirring with anger and frustration. I don't know about, about you, but I, mean, I can just, I can feel anger coming up. And it's coming up, and some words are about to come out that I'm going to regret. In those moments when you feel it, it's like this check engine light blinking. Hey, something's off here. Something's wrong. And you're about to say things that, you need, that you're going to regret. In those moments, remind yourself to choose kind, tender-hearted and forgiving words. Think, think about that person that you are most frustrated with these days. What, what uh, are you speaking kind, tender-hearted, forgiving words about them? Fifth and finally, when you're stuck in bitterness, watch your behaviors. Again, when your insides are, are stirring, know that you're vulnerable in that moment. Like you're vulnerable to say things you're going to regret, but you're also vulnerable that you might, be, you might do something that you're going to regret. Hear me, just to be clear, violence is always crossing a line. It's crossing a boundary uh, that you should not go. But find healthy responses when you're suffering from anger over this broken world. How are you responding outwardly to the injustices you're experiencing? Again, battle bitterness by focusing on beliefs, desires, thoughts, words, and behaviors. Solomon Northup, he endured some heartbreaking, embittering experiences. Finally, as his story goes, a man named Bass from Canada came to work on the plantation. He was a carpenter, and they were working, building different things together. And Bass was a Christian. He was an abolitionist. And over time, working with him, Solomon finally started to trust him. And then he shared his, his secret. He, he told about his plight, that he was actually 
born free, and then he was kidnapped. And he asked Bass to help him. Solomon told his story in the book, 12 Years of Slave. Uh, 12 Years of Slave. It was a bestseller in its day. It was one of the most important and significant abolitionist movement books. The book was made into an amazing movie in 2013, and, and, and I highly recommend you read it, it, it or see it. it. It's an important movie to watch. It's very difficult. I think you're probably going to have to fast forward parts like I had to do, but it, it's an important movie to see. The most powerful scene in the movie and, and the most powerful moment in the book is when Solomon's saviors arrive. Solomon has, at this point, really lost hope. He's tried a few times to, uh, to, to be freed. He's tried to write some letters and get some help, and it's always backfired on him. Months have gone by since he had talked to Bass, and Bass agreed to, to write his family in New York. And in the movie, Solomon is just working in this field, hopeless, trudging through life, and then this carriage pulls up. And in the carriage is the local sheriff as well as uh, Solomon's lawyer friend from New York. Solomon's lost all hope, but help has finally arrived. He'd been bought and sold and bought and sold, but now his Redeemer was here to help him. You can't watch that scene without tears rolling down your face. And, and, And what is so powerful is, Solomon in his hopelessness, uh, the sheriff comes up to him and he's confused on what's going on. And then all of a sudden he recognizes his friend and the sheriff asks him these questions. Do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's my friend from New York. And he names him and tells him who he is. And, and it all starts coming together in the sheriff's mind that, oh my goodness, this, this is true. And, and it all comes together. Solomon has, has all of a sudden uh, experienced uh, the, the, the desires of his heart are coming true. His desire for freedom, it's finally happening. His helping hand has arrived. Friends, when, when, you're struggle, when you struggle with bitterness, never forget that there's always a helping hand there. Listen, bitterness might be a theme in your life. You might have struggled over and over again with this. Listen, you're not too far gone. You might read a parable about the unforgiving servant. You say, man, that's me. I've been forgiven so much, and I'm so slow to forgive. When you're, when you're crushed by that reality, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. If you're struggling with bitterness, settled anger, you're struggling to forgive, know that you have a helping hand. At your lowest point, His helping hand can help you up. In other words, when your soul is filled with the poison of anger, He's always there to wash you clean. When you've blown it again, you're never too far gone. Draw near to Him. Every time you go to Him, you're going to find mercy and grace and a helping hand. Friends, bitterness is enslaving. It's poisonous. Be strong and courageous in your, as you face your fears over forgiveness. Be strong and courageous in the face of unbelief that lies to you about your bitterness. Trust your Savior with your struggle. His hands were pierced in order to help you up out of it. Trust Him when He tells you to battle. Trust Him when, when he, uh, that He is there for you in those moments. Trust Him that He will help you. Trust Him that He will free you. 
from your bitterness. Be strong and courageous in your battle with bitterness and never forget that he offers a helping hand. Trust his helping hand to pull you up out into freedom. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for this series and just the, the good and glorious conviction that I think it's brought all of us. I pray, Father, that we would be a forgiving people and that as we forgive, that you would bring us into the promised land that's on the other side of it. May we be quick to forgive, slow to anger, so that we can experience the the blessing of communion with you. Father God, for those of us today who are stuck in unforgiveness, may, may we reach out to your helping hand that is calling us up and out of it. Will you help us to forgive? It's in Jesus' name we pray.